Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hang on a sec, here we go. No, no, I've got to go to the toilet. We have to record like now, Dad. No, I have to go to the toilet. All right, go. Okay. So Dad's gone to the toilet, huh? Well... It'd be a real shame if someone were to talk about him while he was um, dropping the kids off at the pool, so to speak. Listen, here's a little song I've got for Dad. P is for poopy. O is for oh my god. Hello. O is for ouch. Hello. Hi, Mum. Hi. How you doing? I'm exceptionally well. How are you? Good. Dad's dropping a duke. <laughs> That's not very polite, Paul. No, but last time I went to the toilet on the show, he sang a song about it. I know. Yeah. I was I was listening. What, you were there? Yeah, in the background. Why don't you stop him or do some like Aretha Franklin style backup vocals? There's no stopping dad. You should know that by now. <laughs> he just yeah. goes ahead and does and says whatever he does and says. And now he's doing whatever he does in the... So what What do you do? I mean, it's a one-bedroom apartment. Do you have to, like, play some music or something? No, I've got the headphones. That's why I put the headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to hate this. He's going to kill me. Oh, oh God. Gosh. That, hang on. So, all right. So welcome oh. to Monday, another week. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. We're talking Another- about a we're talking about a story today on the show where um dad pretended to be a criminal to go into a jail cell to get information out of some car thieves. Ah uh, yes, I know that story well. Do you know anything that we don't that dad wouldn't tell you? No. Tell us. No, no, because I, I only know what he related back to me. So I'm just going to hand back the uh, headset because John okay. has reappeared. <laughs> okay. Catch you later. Bye. All right. Bye, Bye mum. Hi, mate. Did you wash your hands? Paul? Yeah? This is not a podcast about ablutions, okay? Might be. You know, you, um, if you you can have... Uh, <laughs> oh, fuck. You can Paul. a couple of loose units off at the pool. <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Paul, this is inane and stupid. All right, well, how about I don't put this in the show? Hmm. All right. I promise, I promise this isn't going in the show. Don't believe you. Wink! Hello and welcome to Loose Units Origins, a weekly podcast where I talk with my dad about true crime. Today, dad, we are talking about nothing but the book. Uh, we are talking about chapter 43 in Loose Units called A Valiant Effort. I heard you had a bit of a valiant effort this morning. <laughs> Paul? 
the listen, the listeners <laughs> will be so pissed off that we're not, you know. Uh, the thing is that I'd like to. First of all, I don't think there's anyone who listens to loose units that doesn't listen to loose ends. So what's happened is um, accidentally it appears that loose ends has crept its way for like earlier into the week, and that's mm, that's cool. That's to be expected. Anyway, seriously though, I was chatting with Mum before. Mum popped on to kind of say hello, mm. and this week's chapter is about the time that you ostensibly went undercover. Mm. Um, is that kind of thing? Utterly, utterly, utterly unacceptable what I did. Okay. Terrible and dangerous and... Look, I just can't believe I did it, but I did, so... Yeah, you did. This is So, Chapter 43, A Valiant Effort, and basically you and Julian had encountered some car thieves and you thought the best way to deal with it was to go undercover. But I'd like you... Because this story is one of my favourite stories in the book. At this point... Uh, this season ends in about three weeks, by the way. As in Loose Units Origins, the longest, biggest season in Loose Units by a country mile. This, Dad, this season eclipses, I think it's as long as everything else we've done on the show uh, combined. So mm. Loose Units, Electric Blue, Hot Stuff Coming Through, Dead Serious. Origins is, I think, about as long as all of that stuff combined. Mm. And we are, yeah, about three weeks away from the end of this season. And this is, yeah, I think we saved one of our favorite stories for last. So could you walk us through this story in, I mean, like granular detail? So I've read the chapter this morning. Mm-hmm. So I will, I mean, I'll go as per my memory. So you've got it happening on a day shift. Yep. Um, Julian and I were working the afternoon shift. Mm-hmm. But all the events leading up to... I guess the culmination happened during the day. Yeah. But Julian and I were not at North Sydney Police Station. We were having a day off. Right. And we used to do a lot of scuba diving. Hell of a lot. Mm. Uh, With Dave, the three of us. And um, we'd actually been diving that day. Mm -hmm. And, but it was sort of a fun dive, not not like a night bottle dive one of those sort of high adrenaline dangerous dives. How would you just, define it? What, what, what's, what's a fun dive? Just diving? Oh, just diving around at Shelley Beach. Okay. Ferry Bower. Calm, tranquil, you know, crystal clear, mm-hmm. just warm, idyllic, where you'd we'd park up the top, um, sort of up near North Head, and we'd bring all our gear down onto the sort of onto a lawn, mm-hmm. and we'd just walk across the sand amongst all the people sunbaking yep. and you'd just walk into sort of a mill pond and when it got deep enough you'd just basically put your um regulator in your mouth right deflate your bc and we'd just have a really really great dive knowing that we were all going to be working that afternoon so by the time we get to north sydney the shift started at 3 p.m the first thing basically all police um, and I guess they still do today in a sort of a, you know, perhaps in a similar way, was to go and check out all the uh, the crimes, you know, the hot hot list for stolen cars, get a sense, and also talk to the the off-going shift to get a feeling for, for everything that had happened that day. And one of the mm-hmm. most notable things that had been happening that day um, within, say, a maybe a 20-mile radius of North Sydney Police Station... Yeah. Were a gang of, I would describe them as 
professional bag snatchers. This particular group of people did come from an area um, outside, let's say just outside of North Sydney. Mm -hmm. They'd been chasing this, this mob and their MO was to basically pick on an elderly woman and take their handbag. You know, traditionally called a bag snatch. And I assume what, I'm, I assume that that process is not always uh, a peaceful one. Rarely peaceful, but this was a gang, very organised. Mm-hmm. And then when Julian and I came on shift at three, around about four p.m. over the radio, yeah, came a, a report. It was quite an urgent call from a very elderly woman. She was in her nineties. And it was up at Willoughby, mm-hmm. sort of Crow's Nest, which was on the fringe of our patrol area because it then sort of bleeds into Chatswood's area. Gotcha. So, so we were 6 Division, Chatswood's 25 Division. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the general consensus in the police force at that sort of on that day was that people, the police were really sort of becoming really sort of pissed off because... No one had managed to catch this 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 group, and the the last victim was uh, this lady, and they grabbed. Now these guys were, by all accounts, very fit. They were in their late teens, early twenties. Mm. There were at least four of them, and they kind of had this a rough description, sort of of how they were working, but. And they knew that they were using a car, but no one, had, no one had been able to find out anything about the car they were driving. And this particular woman did not, elderly lady, she decided that she just was not going to let go of the bag. And she held on for grim death as this uh, scumbag dragged her across uh, Willoughby Road, which is quite a busy road, and basically dragged her over the, um, you know, over the asphalt. And as she fell, she broke her hip. Um, and she was, you know, elderly people, their skin is very, well, it's like tissue paper. And she lost a hell of a lot of skin. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And she so was tra- she was traumatised, but she was, in- I remember her, she was incredibly valiant, very uh, strong. Mm. You know, she'd seen a lot of shit in her life. Yeah. And she was adamant um, that... But eventually they basically just, you know, they managed to get the bag, which is really sad in a way because, you know, an elderly lady might have a few shekels in her little purse. What the um, fuck's a shekel? What's a shekel? Uh, it's, an, it's, an, it's an old coin that was um, used um, in biblical times. <laughs> okay. I believe. Okay. That's a euphemism. Sure. Um, so... Julian and I, we were, we were really, really kind of pissed off, as were all the police that that particular shift. Yeah. And what happened was, the somehow or other two of the offenders were arrested, and because it should be noted, because you've given the title of this chapter, the uh, sort of you've used the word valiant, and that that it's it's a very very good play on words. It, I mean, you could describe her. Her her demeanour, the victim, as Mm. valiant, but also that was the shitbox car that Julian and I were given, which was 6'3". So we were basically floaters 
not to be confused with the term floater as in a turd in the ocean. Weren't you admonishing me for bringing up stool earlier in the show? Uh, yeah, but that was with justification. Okay. It's different when I say it. Sure. <laughs> so, Julian and I... So, the listeners are going to notice that every time I say his name, I pause. Okay? Because what I don't want to do is use his name. So, back at the station, I came up with a bit of a brainwave because the detectives brought two of these guys down. Now, these two guys were... They were career criminals. They were bad and they were fucking heavy, Mm. which was a bit scary. And I was a weedy 76 kilos, but I had lots of... uh, Lots of adrenaline and lots of courage. Some might say Dutch courage. And Julian and I hatched a plan. Because what the D's did, they put them into a cell at the back of North Sydney Police Station. As the listeners know, we had three cells. So that one of the cells mm-hmm. had sort of bars and you could sort of look in quite... You just walk past and look to your left or right and you could see everyone in the cell. The other two had these kind of... You, you could not see into the cells unless you undid the hatch and then you could look in. They sort of had a full iron door. But this one had a, an iron door plus basically really, really thick bars. I guess very, very traditional in the sense of an early sort of to mid-19th century cell. And it had one stainless steel toilet. That's it. Okay. So... These guys were put into this cell because everyone wanted to try and find out the location of the vehicle. And these guys weren't fessing up to anything. Plus, there were other members of this group that presumably were still at large and no one really knew, you know, the, the key to this was the vehicle because they knew that if, it, if they could get this vehicle, they would mm-hmm. then find all the bags. And therefore just going to wrap the whole case up. And, and do a massive, you know, sort of sort of give closure and, and increase dramatically the, the sort of, well, presumably the, the jail time mm-hmm. that these guys, because it's, it's, it's a low act, I think we'll all agree. Yeah. You know that thing about pick on someone your own size. I mean, it's it's, it's sort of bullying to the to the nth degree. So, Julian and I, we kind of well, it was actually me that sort of hatched this bizarre, crazy, creepy, weird. I, I can't really tell you. I was just so pumped up, and I really wanted to, you know, get a result. Um, but it wasn't our case, which made things a little bit, you know, a little bit sort of precarious. Because you can't basically muscle in on, particularly the detectives, they don't appreciate that. Yeah. But they were uh, they were sort of at a, at a point of impasse. And I said to Julian, I said, look, mate, how about I pretend to be a prisoner and you cuff me and you get the keys off the station sergeant? Well, they, yeah. they were, they, the station sergeant... Some station sergeants actually had the keys attached to their waist, but others just hung them on a hook. And it was pretty busy. Like, it's it's four or five in the Arvo, the station's pumping, there's, there's just a lot of things going down, and we thought we could use this opportunity. So we go upstairs, I strip down, get in my civvies, I'm barefooted, Yep. I'm dressed 
like just very very casually and this is so weird (laughs) no it is it's fucking weird and julian um he cuffs me yeah he grabs the keys uh and so, so he goes into the front of the station grabs the keys i'm in this sort of back alley back sort of passageway and he he frog marches me to the cell and he opens the door and then he puts me in locks her up then i stick my hands through the through the the bars and he takes my cuffs off and he vanishes and i've i'd never done anything like that in my life either before and i never did anything after because mm. it's too it's just fraught with 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 imagine if someone in the cell because there was another person in the cell yeah um so imagine if imagine if they recognized you what was the bigger danger at this point being recognized by one of the uh prisoners or having a senior officer walk past and go what the fuck is john doing in the cell definitely the latter paul good good call okay. if i had been seen by a senior officer i would have been sacked probably on the spot jesus uh, really really scary so i'm uh, the adrenaline was coursing through my veins i'm shitting myself i'm uh, i'm really really uh, really scared i'm nervous i guess to be fair i'm confronted with two heavy career hardened scumbag criminals that were basically just fucked like and one of them was super fit mm. um in fact he had no shirt on this oh, guy hello okay he had no shirt on he just had i think he may have had jeans on um and yeah it was kind of weird and there's a guy sort of like intoxicated semi-intoxicated um but well dressed in a suit um he was sort of sitting on the floor and i'm just sort of and these guys that i looked sort of sort of you know sussed me cased me looked at me sort of gave me the up and down and then mm-hmm. i just sat there and I'm just sort of, you know, minding my own business, but I'm listening to their conversation and I knew I only had a very, very short period of time. So Julian and I had agreed to 10 minutes. So um, with, with, with the, the backstory being that I'm waiting for my solicitor, okay? Because once my solicitor arrives, I'm entitled to go out and, you know, and then as far as these guys, because they, remember they're career criminals. There's not a lot they don't know about the judicial system. They they are very very au fait with procedure, police procedure. They really know their shit, and they've been, and because they've they've been in sort of in this situation many many times, mm-hmm. and I needed to kind of very quickly. It was weird because I, I certainly was not an experienced. Um, well, firstly, I was not an undercover police officer. Secondly, I was not an experienced investigator, but I thought. You know, I've got a very, very short period of time to sort of get some info and then I just sort of started up a conversation with these guys about cars and, you know, shit boxes and told them what I was driving, which at that time I was actually driving basically a shit box in real life. But hang on, how do you get to... How do you organically go from zero to the information you need? I think this is a really interesting conversation in terms of you have a thing you want to get out of them. You can't go straight at it because then they'll be sus. Oh, definitely. Right? And why would they tell a stranger? <clears throat> no, no. Well, you know? yes yes and no, but you're not really a stranger anymore. 
right. you're part of a group. Right. Okay, so I will be very honest with you, Paul, and say that I did speak to them in a, in a a kind of I sort of I didn't dumb myself down, but I definitely accentuated my my accent, my use of you know the way I spoke. Yeah, did you pop on like a like panic and sla- like slip into a kind of Cockney accent, or did you go? And just kind of ramp up the Australianness. Yeah, or... the Australianness. Yeah, okay. I tried to portray myself as someone that basically, basically um, was really anti-police, anti-establishment. Mm. Uh, you know, fuck the police. Um, what are you? What are you guys in here for? Which is that's quite acceptable. Mm. Um, to that, that's cool. You can, you know, that's normal. Well, did you? Would you see? I guess. I'm curious as to how much of that dialogue and that vernacular and those, you know, those like those patterns you would have seen in your time as a cop, because you probably would have been around these people a fair bit. And you, mm. But I, I doubt they would have spoken completely naturally or candidly when with cops around. Um, so wh- where were you kind of pulling this stuff from? Well, my high school days, because I did know some rather nefarious characters mm. in high school. Uh, one of them went on to actually go to go to jail. Um. And I, I knew some dodgy, really dodgy people. Yeah, okay. And I'm, you know, I, I don't find it difficult to sort of... Look, if you go into a certain environment and there's a certain scene, like if you go into a country town or you go into some... some, You just need to adapt. It's like when you go in and you buy petrol out west, you don't just go in there like a stuck-up ponce, you know what I mean? Like it's... I like to move with the ebb and flow, depending on who I'm with, and that's kind of because you don't look. It's am I making sense in terms of yeah, how, yeah, how yeah. one speaks? You don't just speak the same way all the time. Like if I go up to that guy that was sitting in the street, yeah, in the gutter last yeah. week, I'm kind of I like to just speak in a way that's kind of. I think oh, it's called mirroring, where you basically try and ad- like just mm. slightly adopt the yes. the mannerisms and body yeah. language and voice of the person you're talking to. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, if I'm, it sounds crazy, but if I'm doing a hanging job in Vaucluse, yeah, very very salubrious, mm-hmm. and then I'm hanging in another suburb that's a different sort of scene. I'm not. I'm kind of moving warily through all these different environments but being very aware and being very not patronizing but not making myself out to be something god i'm sort of getting a bit sort of it's it's a it's quite a delicate topic to talk about you don't need to sort of you kind of have to adjust to the environment i guess that's what i'm saying because i was quite aware that if i came across in in a certain way that would perhaps you know, make them a little bit more suspicious. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. But you didn't walk in there, turn your hat backwards, pull out a skateboard, and be like, "Oh, uh, hey, no, what's happening?" Guys? I couldn't. Like, I couldn't do that. No, but you. Okay, so you're in your. So what were you wearing, by the way? Just a t-shirt, jeans, like, yeah, and no shoes. Ah, which... well, criminals are notorious for wearing no shoes. Okay, so you you walk in there. They've seen you get your cuffs taken off by a cop, mm. and thankfully, none of them has recognized you. You've walked up. You're striking up a conversation. I'm just really curious as to whether you recall the specifics on how you got them to reveal the information. And could you tell us what they revealed to you and how they revealed it? Okay, well, it all came about through... I was talking about my car Uh being a a shitbox and clapped out and basically ratchet, which is actually... It was very good that I could actually use a real description of my car, which actually wasn't that great a car. Mm. And... They, that we got talking about cars, and cars is a good sort of thing to talk about. And they then mentioned the type of car they had. And the funny thing is, Paul, the weird thing, yeah, is that no one knew what type of car. And they tell they they were they're telling me about the car. They don't. I mean, obviously, they don't. They've got no idea that they're telling me the. They're describing the car that actually was used in the commission of numerous serious offences. They've got no idea. And why would they? Because mm. it all happened very organically and very, very quickly. And these aren't fucking, you know, these aren't geniuses. These are bag snatchers, shit, shit bags, and they're inadvertently telling you what kind of car they've got. Now, is that enough to kind of use... Or do you need Look, to them to kind of... It was a very, you very... Hey, uh, hey, you know what I like doing with new people? I like getting them to tell me where they park their car and what the rego is like. How do you... Surely you need more specific Paul, information, right? I knew... Um, Julian and I knew where they'd been arrested. Okay. We already knew that. Right. But to know where someone's arrested and not know the car mm-hmm. is... And there's no way these guys would ever fess up so as far as the interrogation would go, I would imagine that they would be more than happy to never ever let on where the car is. Yeah, because that they, would just kind of give that, you guys the... So you can't just search every car, can you? No, no, and you no. don't know what you're looking for. Yeah. And, it's, and there are literally 
well, let's say, well, there are within a certain area, there'd be 500 to 1,000 cars. Mm-hmm. And you just got no idea. Yeah. And one of the weird things and sort of slightly pathetic things about this story is that they were actually using their own car. It wasn't a stolen car. So... It'd be registered under their names. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But no one knew because there are four or five people in the group, so you don't mm-hmm. know who owns the car. Is time a factor here? Very much so. So they could have an accomplice and they could, you know, the accomplice could, you know, realise they're not kind of meeting up with them, get to the car, grab the shit, drive off. So time is a bit of a factor. How much of a factor here is the fact that you and Julian were sort of trying to impress people upstairs at this point, you know, try and get more collars? We, um, that was our, that was the end game. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to get this thing really, really wrapped up. And it was yeah. a real, it was, look, it's possible that nothing, no information would have been relayed to me during that 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like we were really against the clock, but but for me the scariest thing about this whole story, no matter what these guys had done and could do to me if they found out who I was, but the most terrifying aspect of this entire affair was being recognised by another police officer. Like right. if it had it been a low-ranking police officer, mm. like can you imagine if a police officer walked past and went, "Hey, John, what what are you doing in there?" Like they oh, might shit. think they might think I'd been you, charged, arrested. yeah. I'd been arrested, yeah. Can you imagine they go out to the station sergeant and says, "Fucking John Verhoeven, what, what, what did he do?" Oh my god! And the sergeant what, goes, what, "What are you talking about?" And the sergeant then, but it was Joe Harding who was really mega switched on. Yeah, but yeah. He, he yeah. would you, never ever have approved this because what happens if he'd said, "Yes, I go in and I get, I get killed." He basically has to dis. Oh, it's like in the spy films where they have to disavow any kind of acknowledgement of your mission. It'd be but- just so, so, so. I'd be on my own. Hey, well, here's what I'm curious about, Dad. One question, and I'm sure the listeners want to know as well. How long were you in there? Ten minutes. That's seems like a long time, but probably long. Hey, okay, and here's another question: How do you get out? Oh, right. So sorry. So Julian and you both agreed on a ten minute window, yep. Yep. right? And that was. So you had 10 minutes to do what you were going to do. How close to the end did you get the information or did you get it pretty quick and then just have to hang out? No, no, no. It came through around probably about eight minutes. <gasps> That's close. And, okay. And also okay. I was, um, that was definitely one of the longest ever time completely slowed down for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? I think I, to them, looking yeah. back on it, I was definitely nervous Um like scared yeah but i wasn't scared they would have interpreted that which is so good that i was scared about being locked up and they may well have felt that i'd perhaps this was my first time because they they can they can sniff they can smell they can smell fear mm-hmm. and that's how they work and oh look it's just fuck it's so so heavy it's but terrifying I, I just i can't believe you did it i'm also sitting there going all right so let's say you get that information, yeah? Now, mm. none of that would be usable in court, but you don't need that. So how do you then go to the car and explain how you found it? Hmm. Well, that's <clears throat> that's um, that's a good question, and that was never, ever, um, ever brought up. However, we had a very good description of the car, and it was a, it was a very, very unusual coloured car. Yeah, and it was really, really unusual. And it was a tan-coloured Cortina. 
mm-hmm. with I think it had white seats. It was kind of weird, but it was just the weirdest, weirdest color. A quite a rare color. Right. And we simply um, so Julian comes to the um, to the bar, cuffs me. Yep. Opens the door, mm-hmm. and. We then went upstairs. I get dressed back into my police uniform. Mm-hmm. We then <laughs> return the, the keys. Jesus. Uh, of which these keys, might I add, they were they had the keys to the exhibit room. Yeah. Where all the drugs are kept, all the illegal firearms. Mm-hmm. They have the key to the safe where all, in theory, all the firearms from the police on annual leave are kept like it's it's a booty it's a right. bounty these keys and it's a massive key ring it's mm-hmm. got keys to everything yeah and got the keys back and then we just slipped out walked out onto the um onto the main onto the pacific highway yeah where our valiant a valiant regal with a vinyl roof believe it or not because this is this is so far back in the 80s that Basically, general duties you had, as we've discussed before, pretty well every single police car on the road was a different colour. Yeah. And some of them were disgusting colours, like brown, and just, oh, you had to see it. And we headed up uh, north, up the Pacific Highway. We turned right into Willoughby Road, and we just started cruising, looking, 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 and we eventually saw this brown Cortina... Might I say parked properly? Yeah. Close and parallel as so as not to and it just did not stand out. It um it just had nothing. No features except for one which was a classic feature for, for crims, mainly at well, night. It had, it had, sorry. Sorry. Well it, it had it had that classic feature which you wouldn't normally see on a parked car, but we mm. we used to come across this at night time so often. It was a classic where they had the the locking mechanism on the boot. It just wasn't there. Right. So when you pull cars over, this is a classic. And, when, and I fell for this so many times as a junior policeman where you'd pull a car over and you'd, it was like two in the morning and there'd always be two or three guys in it and they were always going fishing. Always. And they'd come from way, way, way out west and they would drive to Taronga Zoo. I'm doing the little inverted commas. Is that what it is? With my fingers to myself. No one can see it. But I'm doing that because that was a classic story. And, you know, they, they, they were actually just doing break and enters in beautiful suburbs. But the fishing was always a sort of a, a reason. And they thought... but. The classic was you'd say to them, can you open your boot? And they'd go, oh, sorry, we can't. It's broken. And so many cars I let go until a senior police officer, he carried a bent screwdriver with him and he just showed me what to do. And you reached into this sort of black hole and you there was like a little mechanism inside that you couldn't see and he just rotated and he'd pop the boot. Uh, yeah, pop the boot. So that was that, that that was a giveaway, and that that was the case with this particular Cortina. Um, and inside the back, so what we did, we then called the um, 
detectives and they came up and they, yeah, it turned out that we knew, but it turned out that this was the car and it was fucking brilliant. And Joe Harding, the supervising sergeant, he actually came up, which is very rare to get a sergeant out of the station, I can tell you. And um, he, 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 I think he, in his heart, he knew that we'd done something. He could never right. quite figure it out because it's technically totally, utterly inadmissible. But because mm. we never, ever mentioned anything about what we'd done to get to this point, the point was that we had identified this particular car mm-hmm. and it did belong to the offenders. Okay? So... When we go back to North Sydney Police Station, yeah. the two guys that were in the cell, they'd been taken by the detectives up to Babcock House. Yeah. And Julian and I went up there and we're both in full uniform and one of the guys that I'd been in the cell with, he looked over at me and he just looked at me and I don't know what he thought. Somehow or other, the detectives had managed to get the Cortina somehow transported to the back of Babcock House and we could see it through the through the glass. And this guy must have been thinking, how on earth? But he looked at me and then he began to sort of it registered, and then I had a slight problem, and that was shit. Fuck! What? What if he then says to the D's something about me being in the cell? Mm. That would have been very, very uncool. But as fate would have it, Paul, this particular guy was giving nothing away. He would not answer any questions. So they took him into one of the interrogation rooms at mm-hmm. North Sydney Detectives Office where behind every single door in every interrogation room was the thick end of a pool cue with a hole drilled in it with a lanyard so you could actually put the lanyard around your wrist to give you a solid grip. And this guy, he had no shirt on and he was... Um, if you go to a gymnasium and you look for the fittest person, um, like we're talking lean and muscly, mega fit, I mean, he and he looked like a sort of a very good style of a person, but he was not talking to the t- detectives. And one of the detectives had this half pool cue, maybe a third pool, pool cue around his wrist. And as I'm standing there, watching this whole sort of thing and the detectives didn't really care that we were there and they just basically you know laid into him laid into his um the front of him and this guy held his stomach so tautly just prior to the blow hitting him that he and he didn't flinch because i was looking at his face and they were basically just beating him in a fairly deliberate manner across the front of his body and every single time and I remember how he had it he held his hands together and down near his crutch and he just stood there and he was flexing so his muscles were really really taut and they were just laying into him and the detective that was basically beating him 
was getting the shits more and more because he realized that this guy was never ever ever going to talk um, and you don't need to talk and you don't need to to say you know you don't need to sort of say anything that will incriminate you um, and then Julian and I just um, we left and I was pretty um, upset at what so I'd why seen. Didn't, why didn't you? Um, uh, I mean, I know, I know sure. what you, I know what you're thinking, Paul, mm. and I'll tell you. I'll explain it to you in, in a nutshell, okay? For lots of reasons. Um, a, he's not your prisoner. Mm-hmm. B, it's the detectives. C, it's in the detectives' office. You're in uniform. You have little to no respect within the detectives. You're basically just uh, annoying. Um, these were hardened detectives, okay? Yeah. I mean, most detectives at North Sydney were, you know, they had between, say, I guess the minimum experience in playing clothes, minimum, like a really junior detective would have been in there for five years up to 40 years. And some of these Ds were... These were guys... Some of these Ds were in their 50s. And they were... There were detectives at um, North Sydney um, working out of Babcock House that were notorious detectives. And some of them were involved in some... Uh, some really, really major heavy shit. And some of them were sacked from the New South Wales Police Force. Yeah. And um, can you imagine, Paul... To answer your question that you didn't ask, but I'm imagining I know what that question is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as to Dad, why didn't you do something? Well, I'll tell you now. As a junior constable in an ill-fitting police uniform, mm-hmm. coming in at 76 kilos, if I had have walked and, I mean, if I had have said something, it'd be just dismissed and they'd laugh at you. Could you have taken something higher up to internal affairs? Paul, I reckon Mm -hmm. that I I think my life would have been in danger. Okay. Uh, So I'm not. By the way, I'm just. No, no, no. It's a great question. No, it's it's great. But you know, I think to myself. I don't think I was thinking at the time, do I really want to finish my police service today? Because you couldn't... Hmm. Where would you go? What section of the police force would have you? Because they'd get this report saying, Constable Verhoeven is hereby transferred to... Well, I don't know. They they actually could have, and they sometimes used to do this. They'd transfer you to somewhere like Wilcannia or some place way yeah way out west as punishment okay and you know i just i just thought it's probably better if i try and change things from within mm. uh because you can't really change things from outside uh maybe now you can but knowing what i knew back then about various people within the organization and how it worked um i mean don't forget paul that a police officer um michael drury at chatswood 
was shot through a window when he was at his kitchen in the kitchen of his house. Yeah. Because a contract had been taken out on him by another police officer. Okay. When was this? When that that was in the eighties. Okay, I, I, I vaguely recall. Some, yeah. So some can you that. imagine? Um, I like you know, you have to weigh up. I'm look. I'm not a martyr. Mm. Um, I do weigh things up. I I like to think that I'm. But I think talking about it's really important. I think it's yeah. wonderful for the listeners to know. You know what sort of what sort of things happen and and there's been a a case in the last two weeks and just just let me just let me run with this just for a few minutes paul i want to talk about something that a the head of a police station yeah absolutely it's about a police officer that basically murdered someone in thailand we'll Mm. we'll chat about it on thursday okay cool God, this has been such a packed episode, Dad. Such a jam-packed episode. I, there's so much more stuff I want to pick apart with you this week. Maybe we can do it uh, at the end of the week for loose ends. But mm. thank you so much for just going deep on this. I really appreciate you, uh, your time and you tackling this really tough stuff. Um, everyone, if you want to hop onto facebook.com forward slash loose units and ask questions, you can absolutely do that. We can't wait to hear from you. This season ends in like three weeks and we are going to announce what the next season is going to be. Uh, I believe we're going to take like a week off between seasons just to give ourselves some time to kind of, you know, produce some stuff. But we are really excited about the next step in the Loose Units adventure. We can't wait to see what happens next. And we hope you have a great week and we'll see you at the end of the week for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.